I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, to the 8th chapter. Otherwise, your attention to the screen as we read a few verses of what John recorded that Jesus said. So Jesus is in this discussion with the Pharisees, with the church leaders. And we'll pick that up at the 42nd verse of that 8th chapter. And Jesus says to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? And this next phrase is the one we'll focus on this morning. Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So this morning we're going to continue our study of the spiritual disciplines in our quest to ultimately discover God's will for us together. Spiritual disciplines, we have said, are sacred paths to a deeper intimacy with God and to a deeper understanding of his will. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the necessity of taking time to be with God and responding to his presence with awe and with silence. Last week, we talked about engaging the scripture, not to gain some more information, but to allow the spirit to step in and to nurture our soul and ultimately to transform our life. And this morning, we're going to be talking about listening to God in prayer. Centuries ago, a Russian bishop was sailing with other pilgrims to visit a distant monastery. The legend says while they were at sea, they stopped at a small island in order to mend the boat. As they neared the shore, the bishop saw three poorly dressed hermits standing on the shore hand in hand. They bowed respectfully to him when he came ashore. The bishop talked to them and expressed some concern when he discovered that the only prayer that they knew was, three are ye, three are we, have mercy on us, Lord. The bishop felt compelled to teach them how to pray properly. So he started with the Lord's Prayer. And they had a terrible time getting it right. And when they finally did, it was time for the bishop and the boat to leave. That evening, the bishop was standing on the ship's deck, looking back in the direction of the island, now barely visible on the horizon. And he thanked God for having sent him to teach those hermits how to pray properly. And suddenly, there was this glowing light in the distance. And as the light came closer and closer, he saw three hermits running on the water, hand in hand, all gleaming white. 
they reached the side of the boat, looked up at him and exclaimed, Sir, we have forgotten your teaching. Please teach us again. Thoroughly amazed, the bishop leaned over the ship's side and said to them, Your own prayer will reach the Lord. It is not for me to teach you. Lord, have mercy on us, sinners. The bishop bowed. The three men turned and hurried back across the sea. A light shone until daybreak on the spot where they had been lost to sight. It's a legend. But one that tells us a lot about the essence of prayer. And prayer is, if you will, our focus this morning. As we begin, I want to note with you a few essentials about prayer. But before we do that, I think it's important for us to understand that logically, that is from our human perspective, it is absolutely preposterous for you and for I to assume that we can talk to the God of the universe, the one who created it and sustains it, let alone have a personal relationship with him. And yet, that is exactly what the scripture promises us. It's exactly what the scripture invites us to do. And it does, not, does that not only once, but over and over and over again. You see, prayer is not some simple minor aside that is tucked into one or two of the cracks in the text. No, it is central, it is assumptive, and it is normative for the entire Christian life. In fact, prayer encompasses the whole spiritual life. By accepting God's invitation to pray, well, that doesn't necessarily remove all of the mystery about how it works or even provide for us a step-by-step -step set of instructions that we ought to follow or tell us what we should do and what we shouldn't do in prayer. Meanwhile, we often talk at God and hope God not only hears what we have to say, but will respond to what we ask because we say he promised. But who can understand such an audacious thing? Who could expect such an encounter with a sovereign, omniscient being that it would be desirable, let alone describable? But in knowing God, and in discerning his will for our lives, prayer is absolutely essential. So consider with me five brief lessons that I think we all ought to take note of. The first lesson is that the best way to learn how to pray is to pray. St. Francis de Sales said, the best method of prayer is to have no method at all. That is, this morning we would learn more about prayer if we simply paused for the next half hour and prayed instead of having you listen to me talk about or describe prayer. So that's the first principle, if you will, the first lesson about prayer. Prayer is best learned by praying. And as long as we're praying from our heart, as long as we're praying with transparency and vulnerability and, and authenticity, God will hear our prayer. The second lesson is that prayer is primarily about the relationship that we have with God. 
So if you want to know about a person's relationship with God, simply ask them, how is your prayer life? And you will learn. At the very heart of God is his deep desire to be in fellowship with us, with each one of us. God longs to hear from us. God longs to speak to us. God longs to carry on a conversation with us. So prayer, first and foremost, is not about getting stuff. It's not about problem solving. It's not about seeking healing. It's about being aware of and enjoying God's presence. As the answer to the first question and answer of the Westminster Confession says to us, it's about deepening our relationship. It's about having an ongoing, intimate conversation with the one who created and then redeemed us. At the heart of every devoted believer is that same deep desire to be in relationship with God, to experience more of God's presence, to hear him speak, to know his heart, and to live in his will. Scripture says, not only is it possible for us to converse with God, but God wants to hear from us and wants us to hear from him. He longs to have that conversation, to build that relationship. He desires for us to listen to him as much as we talk. At the very heart of God is his desire to be in relationship with us. Now those first two lessons are lessons that the bishop apparently needed to learn once again. But there's a third lesson, and that lesson basically says, you and I don't know all that much about prayer. We've heard, but we often forget how important prayer is to our relationship with God and for our everyday life. We know that Jesus and also David and Daniel and Paul and the disciples and the early believers in the church all prayed. And we know that the Bible talks about prayer often. We've heard that in prayer, we are acknowledging, or if you will, stepping into the presence of the God of the universe, the one who created and provides for us, the one who literally holds your and my life in his hands. If we really understand what is happening in prayer, it would make us weak in the knees. And if it doesn't, it should. We figure if we are approaching a sovereign God who has summoned us, that we better get it right. We figure if there is something we want from God, healing, success, wisdom, blessing, whatever it is, and we want him to give it to us, then we better make sure that we're asking in the right way with the best of techniques in order to maximize our odds of success. And so we tend, as the bishop did, to often focus on the mechanics and the method for successful prayer. Successful being defined as we get what we want. The bishop learned, and I think we all need to be reminded, that the mechanics and the methodology of prayer are not all that important. We've learned many of our prayer practices from our parents, from teachers, from pastors, from each other. 
We've learned from personal experience by studying the prayers in the Bible or perhaps by attending a, a prayer conference or reading a book about prayer. We long to know how to do it right and if we're doing it right. And all too often, we hesitate to even pray until we're pretty sure that we've got it right. So many conscientious believers long to improve their prayer life. And that's where we learn the fourth lesson. Prayer is hard work. Learning to pray takes time. Learning to pray tests our patience. Learning to pray demands our transparency and our vulnerability and our intentionality. After all, prayer is primarily about our relationship. <laughs> and relationships are hard. Relationships take intentional and continual effort and work. Otherwise, they fade and they die. But often, even when we take the time and put in the effort to pray, it, it just seems like nothing happens. We don't get what we ask. The answer doesn't come quickly enough. The answer is different than the one we asked for and we're praying about. And we're left to wonder whether all of our time and all of our effort and all of our energy was really worth it. So eventually we need to get to the point where we join the disciples and humbly ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus teaches them and us by inviting us to pray. The fifth lesson seems counterintuitive. You see, on the one hand, while we need to work very hard on our prayer life, or perhaps we've already given up and thrown in the, in the towel because it's simply more work than it's worth. Bottom line is prayer is a gift from God. The invitation to pray is an invitation to spend time with our Heavenly Father, to spend time with His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to spend time with His Spirit, that God is interested in spending time with us, <laughs> creatures who are deeply in need of being sanctified, is actually an amazing gift. Sadly, it's a gift often left unopened. So this morning, I will tell you everything that you need to know about prayer in order to get started. And the truth is, if you remember those five lessons, you already know the basics and everything you need to know. Walter Wangren has a wonderful little book called Whole Prayer, W-H-O-L-E, Prayer. And he says in that book that there are four basic components to prayer. First, he says, we speak. Then he says, God listens. Then he says, God speaks. And fourth, and finally, he says, we listen. And I think Walter Wangerin has it right. I just think he got him in the wrong order. From my reformed perspective, I think it should be, first, God speaks, and we ought to listen. And then we speak, and God listens. I believe God initiates the relationship that we're in with him. So all of our relationships begin with him and he invites us by speaking to us.
Now, most of us have this speaking part down. I mean, we know how to talk. The sad part is, is that surveys continue to indicate that the average believer talks with God about five minutes a day. That's about it. And it is hard to grow a healthy, intimate relationship on just five minutes a day. By contrast, God has the listening part down. He promises every time you and I talk, he's going to listen. That's absolutely amazing for God to do. So let's focus on the other two components for a few moments this morning. That is, on the fact that God speaks and the fact that you and I need to listen. So God speaks. God, you may remember, brought this universe into existence by his spoken word. He spoke. He said, let there be light. He said, let there be sky and let there be water and let there be dry land. He said, let there be plants and trees and vegetation. Let there be creatures and birds and living things. And there were. God spoke. It happened. In the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve. And the scripture tells us God talked with them and they talked with God. Then, then came the fall. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and tarnished the communion and the communication that they had with their creator. But God, God in his grace and in his love reached out even to rebellious children. Moses learned the hard way to listen for God's voice and to obey his command. The Israelites were not all that open to having intimacy with the, with the Father, and they preferred to keep God at a distance. And as they learned more and more about God, they said to Moses, I quote from Exodus, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Many of you know the story about how God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to speak for him. But Israel, as I mentioned, was content to keep God at some distance. They demanded a king because they wanted to distance themselves from hearing and dealing with God's commands. They used priests to hear and to offer their confessions and their intercessions and their petitions on their behalf. In the thousands of years that have passed, sadly, things haven't changed all that much. Even today, people continue to prefer, prefer avoiding intimacy with God. They want to keep their distance. Many people think that, that a pastor or a priest can allow them to avoid the hard work of tending to their relationship and still keep them in line for all of God's blessings. Well, after sending numerous prophets, God finally sent his son, his one and only son. And Jesus came both listening and speaking. Jesus came modeling his intimate relationship with the Father. Jesus came acknowledging his constant need to listen and to obey. He said in John 5, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I decide. You see, Jesus came to establish and reestablish communion and community. 
to do that with his disciples, with those who would follow him, to do that with his church, with his faith community, people who would acknowledge him as redeemer and as king, people who said they would listen to him in all things and people who committed to following what they heard in obedience. Jesus, on several occasions, says, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep. They listen to my voice. Peter and Stephen point to Jesus as the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. When the prophet Moses would, would one like Moses would rise and speak and people would listen and hear and obey. In Acts 1, Luke clearly implies that after Jesus' ascension, Jesus continued to do and to teach through his spirit that he sent on Pentecost. And the good news is that God has not stopped speaking. The bad news is so many people have stopped listening. But God continues to speak through his word. He continues to speak through his spirit. And as believers, we need to maintain a listening posture. Jesus says here, he who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear it's because you don't belong to God. Jesus said, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus said, my other disciples too will listen to my voice. That's you and me. And God has not developed laryngitis. When we learn to hear him and when we develop the faith to obey we step into the adventure that Scripture calls discipleship. You see, we need to listen for God. Now, the truth is that few people will hear an audible, recordable voice. But if that should ever occur, and God should speak vocally to you, you will know it. And no human preparedness will ever suffice. But most of the time, God speaks to us in a whisper, deep in our soul, deep in our heart. God knows that that will be far less terrifying for us. But how do we develop that, that inward prayer-filled listening so we can hear him speak? And if we hear something, how do we really know it's from God? Listening is a challenge. But the truth is, it's a necessary element in our relationship with Jesus it takes some time to develop. We've noted it's hard work, but that's why it's called a discipline. Richard Foster writes, Jesus Christ is alive and he is here to teach his people himself. His voice is not hard to hear. His vocabulary is not that difficult to understand, but learning to listen well and to hear correctly is no small task. We need to learn to intentionally and consistently listen for God as he speaks. Tim Hensel, in a little book entitled, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty, 
tells the story of a Native American Cherokee walking in Manhattan with a friend. Walking down the street, he says to his friend, I hear a cricket. The friend says, that's crazy. No, I hear a cricket. I'm sure I do. It's noon. There are people all over on the street. There are cars. There are taxis blaring their horn. There's no way you can hear a cricket. He listened again. They walked a few feet to the corner, crossed the street. He looked under a shrub in a large cement planter. And there it was. His friend was astonished and amazed. The Native American said, my ears are no different than yours. They have been trained to hear things, however, differently than yours have been trained. Let me show you. He reached into his pocket, pulled out a handful of change, and dropped it onto the corner sidewalk, and every head turned. See what I mean? The heart and soul of the Christian faith is listening for the voice of God and then having the courage and the strength to do what God asks. What are you listening for? When was the last time you heard God speak? Jesus says repeatedly, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If we begin to listen with our heart and our soul, imagine what we might hear. God regularly speaks. Often, as we've noted, in whispers, not in earthquakes, not in the wind, not in the fire, but in a whisper, in a still, small voice. And John reminds us, it's the good shepherd. And when the good shepherd speaks, his sheep listen to his voice. So most often God speaks in what I will call common promptings. We hear him when we're quiet. We hear him when we're reading scripture or through Lectio Divina, which we practiced last week. We hear him in our prayers of examine while journaling and conversations we might have with other believers. Claire de Graff in his book, The Ten Second Rule, says we have a very small window to decide to respond. He says we have about 10 seconds from the time we feel that prompting in our heart and in our soul before our logic and our head start to push back and say, no, 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 that's foolish. Prompted. A friend called him on the phone. Kurt? How are things going? Kurt worked for Cabela's at their national headquarters in Sydney, Nebraska. Ah, not so good. My mother, who was a member of my congregation at the time, isn't doing so well. She's dying. And we have to decide whether I'm going back alone or whether I'm taking my wife and my three children. But you know... Purchasing airplane tickets at the last moment is very expensive, and right now the money is pretty tight. Kurt's friend listened. He continued to feel that internal prompting. He said to Kurt, I'll pray for you as you make your decision. 
About an hour later, he called Kurt back. He said, Kurt, go to the airport in Denver. Check in at the Delta counter. There are five tickets at the desk waiting for you and your family so you can all go see your mom. The man's wife, who was prompted by God, she was a high exec in Delta. Why are we surprised when there's a whisper in our soul, when there's a God prompting, and when that leads to a, a single act or a simple act of service or kindness? We've heard them before. Sometimes we've followed through. We visit somebody at just the right time. We send flowers, we drop a note, we invite a friend to dinner, and we're told it makes their day, their week. We give sacrificially, and God replaces it all within a matter of days. Being a disciple of Jesus requires that we carry a listening ear with us all the time, throughout our day. It means practicing his presence as Brother Lawrence did whether he was washing the dishes in the kitchen or whether he was resoling shoes in the cobbler shop. He was always looking for, he was always listening for God. You see, the challenge is to get to that place in our spiritual life where we are constantly listening for God's interruptions in our day. Brother Lawrence put it this way. The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and chatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees before the blessed sacrament. The best story that I have heard from a God listener is told by Ted Coleman in his little book, Stark, raving obedience. And I had occasion to talk to Ted, and I said, Ted, is that really true? And he said, yes, Doug, every word of it. Here's the story. It underscores for me, and I hope for you, how important it is for us to listen and to respond. A woman who was attending a three-day conference on listening prayer committed to listen to the voice of God and obey it when she heard it. And then while driving home one day from the conference, she heard a prompting. <clears throat> it said, stop at the 7-Eleven, <clears throat> go in, and stand on your head next to the slush machine. <clears throat> Was that God? Would God really tell her to do something so silly? And then she heard it again. Stop at the 7-Eleven. Go in and stand on your head by the slush machine. Now she could see the 7-Eleven. She decided to drive by. She convinced herself 10 seconds had passed that God didn't make such insane requests, especially to people like her. Then the nudge came again with more urgency. So she decided to turn the car around and she parked in front of the 7-Eleven. No other cars in the parking lot. 
At least no one would know. When she entered, she saw a young man standing behind the counter. She wished, she prayed that that young man would go into the back to check on something. He didn't. God didn't answer that prayer. So finally, she mustered up her courage. She walked over to the slush machine and she stood on her head. And nothing happened. Nothing. So she's slowly making her way from the slush machine and she begins to walk out. And as she passes the counter, the young man stops her and says, excuse me, ma'am. Why did you just do that? Do what? Stand on your head by the slush machine. How do you explain that to someone? Well, you know, I was driving down the street and the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, tapped me on the shoulder and said, woman, go thou to the 7-Eleven down the street and stand on thine head by the slush machine, end quote. <laughs> now, that really sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? No one would really believe that God actually said something like that. I'm sorry, she said. I'm not a little embarrassed. I'm just going to leave. No, no, ma'am. Wait. I have to know why you did that. And he reached under the counter and he pulled out a gun and he put it on the top of the counter. And he said, ma'am, you need to understand that a few moments ago I had that gun in my hand. My life is a mess. It's not worth living. I was thinking about ending it and I said, God, I will give you one more chance to see if you really exist and if you really care about me. So, if you're real, have someone come in here and stand on their head by the slush machine. And then he said to her, I really need to know why you did that. Can you tell me about your God? And she did. Did God invite her to go in and stand on her head by the slush machine? I'll let you decide. But my question for you this morning is, if God had prompted you to do that, would you have listened? Would you have obeyed? What do you do with the promptings that God gives you? Francis Fellanen writes, God does not cease speaking, but the noise of the creatures without and of the passion within deafens us and stops our listening. We must silence every creature. We must silence ourselves to hear in the deep hush of our soul the ineffable voice of God. We must bend our ear because it is a gentle and delicate voice. Remember the five lessons of prayer that we started with? Maybe no one remembers, but talk with God. Do it often. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him for ears that hear. Listen and keep practicing. Not only will you get better at it, 
but you will be spending more time listening with God. Remember, remember the voice of God is best heard by those who no longer listen for anything else. Let's pray together. Father, give us ears to hear. Not the noises of this world, not the confusion of our own heart or mind, but your voice. May it be clear to us, Lord, and then give us the conviction to follow it. This is our prayer. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.